some of the biggest criticisms I hear is that the process was a idea, not by you, but by the CEO. And I take fully offense to that. You know what? I mean, talk to me about. I it. take talk full offense to that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, here's the thing. Uh, I may not be. I'm not a PhD or anything of the sort. But guess what? I, I I won this office with big bold ideas. I thought, and I'm capable of having a big bold idea as well. So when you hear, you know, Dominion CEOs Coliseum plan, it offends. It it's does offensive. offend me. It does offend me. As if you know, as a young brother can't have his own ideas. Mm -hmm. you, you, was it the, was it the Dominion CEO's idea to put more affordable housing in this project? To for a transit center being a part of this project? No. Mm -hmm. Now here's the thing. Ladies and gentlemen, the voice you just heard was the one and only Mayor LeVar Stoney. He will be on this episode exclusively on the Cheats Movement on WRIR. I am your host, Cheats. Gigi Broadway is in the building. Gigi, how you feeling? I'm here, man. New month, new energy. What's good? It is February 4th, Black History Month. We are very excited on this episode of the Cheats Movement on WRIR, as you have heard, we go one-on-one -on -one with Mayor LeVar Stoney. We talk about just about everything following his State of the City address. We talk Navy Hill. We talk education. We talk legacy. We talk gentrification. It is an action-packed half an hour, and I'm very excited that you are with us on this episode of the Cheats Movement on WRIR. We're going to start the show right now. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to the Cheats Movement on WRIR. As always, at this time of year, I am joined by a very special guest, Mayor LeVar Stoney. Welcome to the Cheats Movement once again. What's up, Cheats, man? What's up? I'm doing great. How, how are you doing? How are you holding up? I still got a smile on my face, don't I? You always have a smile on your face. <laughs> it is a characteristic that I don't have, and I don't understand it, but you do have a smile on your face. Let's just jump right into it because I got a lot of questions from our listeners, a lot of questions from myself, and I really want to make sure we uh, maximize the time that we have. Let's start. You just completed last week the State of the City Address. Yes. Where you, I kind of looked at it as a speech of two parts. You kind of laid out what you've done, and then you've also laid out where you're going. Give us the highlights and the recaps and what you were most proud of about the State of the City Address. Hey, I, I talked about our work on building One Richmond, and I talked about the pillars of One Richmond, it being focused around children and families, uh, focused on uh, housing, uh, another focus on public transportation, and obviously on economic empowerment. Uh, I'm very, very proud of the work this administration has done over the last three years, um, particularly around first the blocking and tackling of city city hall, right? Like, you know, you know, 88,000, 80 something thousand uh, potholes, 84,000. Uh, the number of lane miles we've begun paving because of big time investments into public works. Uh, I'm very proud of our three new schools coming out of the ground as well, right? You know, we got three plus 3,000 kids gonna start in a new school this fall, you know, at George Mason Elementary School. Uh, green and can, I, can and I smile on one part look. because I, I listened to this speech as well and there was a part of the speech <laughs> in which you said 
some people question if City Hall could do the blocking, the, the everyday activities, the blocking and tackling. That some person was you <laughs> when you were running. Didn't you question if City Hall could do the everyday? <laughs> I was I was listening. Was to this. that me? I was listening to this in in the in the speech. It goes. Some people were wondering if City Hall could do the everyday operations, and I was like. That was you. That was you. <laughs> no, so, no. So, but that's I, I was just channeling what I heard from people. <laughs> no. But, I, yeah, no. I was one of those guys, and I wanted to prove that, well, we can do the blocking and tackling, and we can focus on economic empowerment so as I well. So I do know you want to talk about schools, but, but really go back to that really quick, because that was one of the biggest challenges of City Hall operations in-house. Yes. Would we be able to, or would City Hall be able to get their fiscal house and get their organizational house in order, and you feel like that's... An accomplishment. Hey, three years of turning the comprehensive uh, audit and financial report in on annual finance report in on time, uh, not just on time, but early for three years in a row. Uh, I'm also uh, pleased with just you know the, the work of just you know us just streamlining government a little bit better than we, we have in the past, and um, I, I think the fiscal house is in order. It allows us to do big things. We, we refinanced uh, some debt the other day for. What, $40 million? And you're saving the city $40 million over time? I mean, that's going to be beneficial to the city in the long run. So I'm very proud of my team. I got a good team. And here's the thing. You know, Cheese, I, I actually I had, to, I, had to, I, had to, I had to move some pieces around. Sure. You know, I had to, had to say goodbye to some people sure. to make this work. And right now I think we got a good team, one of the best teams we've had in years. So moving on, because I, I – I, know where you're going with that as well but you were you know you were leading into kind of some of the rps accomplishments and yes the building of the new schools building the new schools and, and how do we feel rps is always 1a when you're talking to citizens of richmond yes it's always one yes there's a lot to improve but there's always. a but you we've moved the needle some tell me where you think we are right now as we look at the big picture of richmond public schools and how we're building for a future for our youngest, most vulnerable students? Hey, uh, Mark, I really think that we are on the upswing. I think uh, I've invested in the turnaround plan. Uh, you know, in Richmond Public Schools, you know, $37 million of new money in the Richmond Public Schools in the last fiscal year, uh, 18 of that going to inside the classroom. Give them the tools necessary to, to actually ensure, ensure we can close the achievement gap. But obviously, you know, it's going to take – one year is not going to turn around – Richmond Public Schools. And it, we didn't get into this mess in one year. It's going to take a while to turn around. But I feel good about Jason Cameron's and his work. I feel good about uh, the work of some of those on the school board. So, you know, we're making progress. It's not going to all happen overnight, but they have a partner in this mayor. Every time I talk to anyone and I ask them about the actual education compact yeah. op apparatus organization, they always tell me, it's a work in progress. Matter of fact, I think we have an interview last year, and I asked about the education compact, and your response was similar to, hey, it's a work in progress. we got to see how this plays out. Where are you on the education pro uh, compact? Is it worth doing? Should we scrap it and do something else? Is it, is it effective? I've had that question in my head a few times, right? Like, you know, and let me tell you the impetus was it. You know, remember, there were stories about how my predecessor – uh, we'll go to we'll, we'll get together with the school board and the city council, and you know, uh, the the meetings were short, or maybe he wasn't there or whatnot. And I said, you know what, we all need to get around the table to talk about you know the the future of our children, and I think we've seen some some good work out of that. You know, us having some real 
blunt and frank conversations about our finances and what, what that means for them as well. Uh, we able to use it also, the children's cabinet format from, the, from there to actually create the Office of Children and Families, which I announced my, in my State of the City speech. Yep, you did. But it takes people, personalities, all working together. And I'll admit, I've not been pleased with the attendance of some of our friends on the city council. I just, just, just During the these meetings? During like, the education compact meetings? They're just not attending. Okay. They're just not participating in it. Because I think they recognize that you know, you're going to have to look across the, you know, the table at school board members and either say no or you know, not involve yourself in, in, in public education. And some of them don't want to even have the conversation sometimes. And I just think it's good for us to all get on the same page particularly before the budget is, you know, even presented. So um, it is a work in progress. But you know what, we were having, we've been having such good conversations. You know, we've been talking about, well, what do you want to do? They said they need more money. City Council, what do you want to do? You want to raise taxes? Right? And I just think that some of our elected leaders don't like being put on the spot. So how do you rate? Because one of the things that I really thought about the impetus of, of things like the Education Compact was we need to improve communication mm -hmm. between the school board, the city council, exactly. the mayor's office, the administration. Where would you rate, uh, if you were giving grades, where would you rate the communication between the school board, city council, the mayor's office, and administration? All three? Like the communication between the one. So it's one grade. Where one would grade. you give the... Average. Okay. Average. We could do better. And, but it's going to take all of us, you know, do, I mean, it just can't be the administration and the school board. It takes the city council to participate as well. The last meeting we had, I think we had one city council member show up. Mm -hmm. One. And I know schedules get in the way. I know these are busy people. Uh, but we got to do better. Right? And I, I, you know me. I'm, I believe in uh, the growth mindset that you can be better than you were the, the day before. And I still think that, you know, education compact can be better. If you're... If you were giving out grades, I want to switch subjects just a little bit. And, I, and again, you can say average. You can say whatever kind of grade result you want to get. But your goal since the campaign, since being in office now, um, going into the, the state of the city, you mentioned it as well, the one Richmond mantra. Mm -hmm. where, where would you say we are in building a one Richmond and a Richmond that doesn't leave behind large segments of Richmonders? Uh, I would say good. So, B. Okay. I, I would give our give us a B because because <laughs> I don't know where we started from. Like, exactly we right. probably started from, a, from a pretty bad spot. <laughs> so so think about this: like you're you know, raising the grade to a B. Is I'm, I'm raising are? the grade okay. to a B because I think okay. we are are being more intentional about our work. Okay. Right. You know, when, in terms of equity and, and and lifting people up, we've been more intentional. I think in this administration. Um, that's just my belief. What are some of the examples of that, though? So if we're if if we're saying, hey, look, we're working towards a B level of one Richmond. Yep. Again, I always said there's more than two Richmond. There's like fourteen different. Yeah, I, I think I said I think when our we first series, I said that. nine Richmonds, right? right? Yeah, yeah. But but uh, what are some of the intentional things, even in dialogue, that you can comment on saying, okay, this is how we're bringing everyone. Yes. Yes. To I think look at our investments, right? Yeah. Look where we're investing. Our investments in public education, right? I looked at, uh, uh, you know, think about this. Um, there were no, uh, uh, there weren't a lot of ESL, uh, English as a second language, you know, counselors and whatnot on the, on the south side. Sure. You're, you're seeing more of that now because of, of our investment. Look at our roads. Um, <laughs> 
the roads are bad all around. We can we can all agree with that. You know, sixty five percent of roads are either are fair to, to, to bad, but the investments that we've been putting in uh, into places that have been long forgotten. You know, uh, I, I was down in Davie Gardens in Southside, and they were receiving some. Of the, they were the recipient of some of those paving dollars this past this past year. Uh, I think about my work on you know with Osita Ariibu, who is my uh, special or senior advisor on policy advisor on all things outreach, diversity, equity, you name it. Um, Black Breastfeeding Week. Um, what we've done for our, our 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 employees as well in terms of paid parental leave and things of that nature. We've been working in an equitable way not to leave people behind, and it's it's hard work mm -hmm. because of the number of times uh, cheats that people say. Wait a minute. Um, isn't it breastfeeding month? Why are you recognizing Black Breastfeeding Week? Mm -hmm. and I said, well, because there's some true disparities between African Americans and, and, and some of our, our and white people right. when it comes to you know, maternal health. Right. So we need to be the leader on that. We need to be the leader on uh, recognizing our LGBT community as well. That's why you've seen the increase uh, in the uh, Human Rights Campaign's uh, Municipal Equality Index from a 46 to a 97, mm -hmm. the highest in the Commonwealth of Virginia. So this is our work to make Richmond a more inclusive and welcoming place, and I think we're doing it. The work never ends, though. It can't, it can't end with <laughs> no. this administration. No. It can't end year after year. It just, we, we have to keep on pushing forward. And so I want to work with people who want the same thing for Richmond. Let's ask about <laughs> the voice you are hearing, ladies and gentlemen, is the one and only Mayor LeVar Stoney. He just delivered his State of the City address last week. Uh, we always welcome him at the top of the year to talk about his priorities and things that we, you know, how Richmond is going, how we want Richmond to improve. Let me ask you about, let me ask you about something that has no doubt, of, undoubtedly been a challenge for the city of Richmond. And that is, and, and one that you have been aware of and you are working to improve, but the issues with Richmond redevelopment housing, mm -hmm. um, evictions, we know about our eviction rate. You put together an eviction task force, but there is a lot of grassroots uh, communication is the best way I can say it regarding what's going on with Richmond redevelopment housing. Are, is Richmond redevelopment housing intentionally not filling public housing? Are they intentionally trying to gentrify or not, you know, evict people to knock down buildings? Where, what is your understanding of what's happening with Richmond redevelopment housing and what we're doing to try to curb the eviction crisis? Yeah, yeah. here's where I begin. First, you know, on the, on the eviction crisis, you know, the New York Times had us on the front page saying that we were the second highest, uh, we had the second highest rate of evictions in the whole United States of America. Uh, and last week I met with uh, the mayor of North Charleston who has the number one. So, you know, we exchanged some ideas and we launched an eviction diversion program here uh, at the city. And to date, we helped 76 families avoid eviction, some of them in RRHA housing, some of them in public housing. Um, where I began is that the housing in RRHA, particularly the big six, uh, they're dilapidated, uh, they're isolated, uh, and, and they're, to me, they, they, it needs a fix. I want to see housing that's respectful to the people who live there. That means they need to have dignified, healthy, housing because currently the conditions are unsatisfactory uh and just damn right awful so how, with that said how do you how, how do you, do you get go there? about approving that improving that or making that type of to me, change there is really no way to i see no way to renovate the current places that they are there now i mean they were forgotten by the federal government for years in terms of maintenance and repair it's time to start over 
But while starting over, we have to re respect the generational bonds that have been created there in those communities, and they have to be involved in the process. So everything should be on the table. And for me, that means uh, vouchers, Section 8 vouchers, uh, incentivizing developers uh, to, to create uh, and reimagine re uh, uh, public housing. All that has to be on the table. And also, we got to have a discussion about uh, the right to the guarantee right to return for some of our residents where we can uh, Guarantee that right we should do you feel that You you know Richmond redevelopment housing. I know it's federal. I know there's a board I know there's things that aren't necessarily appointed by you But yeah. in your communication do you feel like the right team is in place to understand the problem and actually address these needs with the sensitivity that you have mentioned uh, one-for-one -one replacement and things of that nature yeah, you know, you're correct. I don't get to appoint the members of this of this board. Got to be clear. We want to be clear about. I don't get to appoint the commissioners. Um, I do have an open dialogue with Damon Duncan over at RRHA uh, on a monthly basis, and I tell them what I hear. I tell them what I'm hearing in the street about the people people's fears. But I think we both agree. Me and Mr. Duncan both agree that the current stock of housing that we are providing uh, that they are providing is unacceptable. Philosophically, really quickly, talk to me about the, your, how do you view the relationship between gentrification and economic development? Mm -hmm. We've probably over the last decade, gentrification in some of our historic neighborhoods has been one of the biggest, if not the biggest, conversation of how do we move forward but keeping the identity of some of our more iconic neighborhoods. Yes. But it's a challenge. Philosophically, as, as you know, you were looking at building up New, 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 new economic developments, new tax bases. How do you view the relationship between gentrification and economic development? We are in the midst of one of the biggest migration, uh, biggest of uh, you know, uh, migrational shifts in uh, in in the, this country's history. Right? You know, you know about the the Great Migration North. You know, yeah. uh, we know about the the white flight sure. from the cities. Uh, now we're undergoing uh, you know, basically people moving back into the cities. A lot of them don't look like me and you. Um, but here's the thing. We are not going to be able to put a wall. For our listeners, we're both black. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just for any listeners that were confused. Oh, because we are some well-spoken brothers, I think. So, so maybe. All black people, <laughs> yeah. look, continue on. Don't get yourself in trouble. <laughs> for all those who might be thinking, right. you know, uh, you don't sound like that. Closed-minded individuals. Yes, continue yes, on. Yes. Um, um, so we're, we're experiencing that sort of, you know, that migration into the city. And uh, my whole thing is you're not going to stop gentrification. Gentrification, for all those who don't know, has been in effect for at least a decade now in Richmond. But what we can't stop is displacement. Okay. And with the new General Assembly across the street, I think that we, gotta, you, I mean, they, we have to be tied to the hip with friends like Jeff Bourne. I love Jeff Bourne's new piece of legislation of, on source of income. Right, uh, we're going to talk about some of his legislation. Oh, continue here on. we go. See? Continue on. Continue See? on. Continue uh, source, on. source of income, though. So, if you get a voucher, right, and you are a recipient of a voucher, yes, there aren't too many places that no, will be accepting that voucher. No, I like this. And I looked this at the good. I looked at the uh, the the housing framework, the regional housing framework that was created a couple weeks back uh, by some of our regional partners, talking about the housing crisis yep. in the in the in the city uh, and the region. Uh, I saw like three or four green dots for those who were accepting a vouchers. On north of the river, right, I, and it blew me away. Yeah. 
So we got to change that law so that we can, when we build more housing. Modern day redlining. There you go. There you go. So I I think that's one law. Uh, Tax deferral programs as well. Mm -hmm. So if, you know, uh, if if my grandmother was living in in Churchill and she can't keep up with the the rising uh, assessments, that we should be able to lock her in place. Right. Right. And defer those taxes. And my, my thought is that if you want to buy that home, because we got folks knocking on doors every day, well, you're going to have to pay those taxes that were deferred as well. Mm-hmm. It helps with this is programs that are being used all across this country. We got to utilize them here. So gentrification, as I said before, in, in, before, it's already here. It's in Jackson Ward. It's in the East End. But we got to be very cognizant and intentional about how we stop displacement. Even with displacement. <laughs> How do we hold on to the identities of those places, the Church Hills, the Jackson Wards? How do we hold on to the spirit and the identities with that? Because people feel like they're losing something when they lose. If, if now we're we talking about the demographic identity, or are we talking about just the historic charm of those neighborhoods? Here's Both. the thing: Is Jackson Ward really Jackson Ward if the demographics don't look anywhere close to what it used to be? I fully agree. I I fully agree with you. Um, and same thing with Churchill as well. Uh, I, I just think we got to be we, we got to be cognizant of the fact that you know people are moving in, sure, uh, and we got to provide more affordable housing for people who are who are who continue to stay in the city, right? And I, I, I would say this, um, you know. Right now, the tax abatement program that the city has utilized over the last 20 years, it was beneficiary to us for a moment in time. Now, I think we got to take a look at retooling it. People really don't or struggle with, and I'm, I will be the first to admit, I do it as well. When I hear the term affordable housing. Yes. It's such a vague term. I get it. Yeah. Right. I'm not, I struggle with what's affordable housing, what's low income housing, what's public housing. And where is our need? As you understand our housing problem, yep. where is our need for housing and what's the right way, like not the right way to address it, but if we're identifying the problem, is it affordable housing? Is it low income housing? Is it public housing? Where is our problem? From what I've been told, it's, it's our problem is housing just period. Right. Okay. We, we just don't have the stock. We have a lot of demand, but not a lot of supply. And so that's from all those 80 of uh, 80% AMI, which is area median income, uh, all the way down to 30% of air area median income. Uh, we need all of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's what, 200? The city needs to build or provide at least 230, uh, 258, uh, 280 mm-hmm. uh, units of low-income housing each year. Right. Now, I'm proud. Over the course of the last three years, I think two years ago, I said the goal was uh, we want to build 1,500 uh, units of affordable housing. That's all AMIs over the, before 2023. As I said in my speech, it was, we've, we've surpassed that. 1,600 will be completed or in, in line to be completed by the end of 2020. It's a big deal. You mentioned also in your speech uh, something you're doing along the lines of uh, permitting, uh, like a to, yes. to to speed up the permit process. And I'm assuming that's for developers and things of that. I could be wrong, but is that going to be is that going to be helpful? Just a whole op- a separate operation or a new operation to help the city, you know, work with communities to develop and permit things and things of that nature. Yeah, uh, here's the thing. Um, could be off. Let me know if I'm off. Because I, I no no no. Okay. We need more housing. We need more. Here's the thing. I, I don't know where you stand on this, Mark, but I'm a proponent of growth, and for the city, I, I'm all, I'm all about growth. Sure. 
right? Because number one, I know that we're landlocked. Right. Given our and, tax, given our tax base, and yeah, the things that's that we right. need to do, we, we need can't more. Right. We need, right. And you need to grow what? You need to grow up, not right. out. We need to grow up. Okay. And so, for all those projects to get done, they had to go through the city. And some of our folks who are been trying to invest in the city have met, been met with a lot of uh, red tape. Okay. Um, and what we want to do now is a third party review of have that available to those who choose to develop in the city. This is being used in other cities as well. And in, uh, if they can go to an architectural and engineer uh, uh, engineering firm outside of the city and get their plan reviews uh, checked uh, and their inspections done, we want to give them that opportunity. And really quick, you, th that you think that'll speed up the process? Yes, it will. Yes, it will. Because you know, you, right now you got the line of those who are built, building right. these, you know, uh, multi-family homes uh, with single-family homes, in, all in the same process. So here it is. I've got. I've been told I got five minutes left, and we are. I, I don't want to shy away from any of the hard-hitting questions, um, and I know where our listeners want to talk about just a little bit. Um, last last week, there was a city council vote. Four, I believe it was four, not five. But the idea is five members of city council uh, want uh, are encouraging you to pull the Navy Hill project paper. You did a press conference while the city council was in their meeting, saying to an extent, "I will not pull the paper. You guys got to vote." At this point, where we are now, going into I believe it's a February vote on Navy Hill. That's right. Um, why can't we get on the same page? Like that's a, well, why so is that the, asking a question to me, or should that be a question to the city council? Who do you think the question should be uh, designed to? Because here's the thing: you obviously we have a resolution at city council that's saying five out of the nine members, which means you don't have the votes. It's saying pull the paper. You are downstairs saying I will not pull the paper, and so clearly there's a, there's a there's a gap there. There's that's a right. there's a there, everybody's not on the same page. And I know that you guys have been working on this for a long time. 26 months. However, at this point where we are moving forward, I mean, how, what do you think needs to happen? How, how do you think we move forward? Hey, well, how we do move forward is that city council sitting down and doing their job, right? You know, we were tasked with doing a job that is vetting this project, reviewing this project, and we, we did that over the course of 21 months. Negotiated, uh, I think, is a good deal for the city. And over time, we've been to uh, community meetings, uh, commission meetings, public hearings, people on uh, within the, who work for the city, people who work for uh, Navy Hill District Corporation as well. And guess what? During those moments, we listened. We listened when folks said they wanted uh, a, a smaller TIF district, you know, the tax criminal financing district. They said 80 blocks was too big, so we listened. We teamed up with Jeff Bourne, and we said, hey, let's try to find a way to bring back uh, some state revenue back into the city to invest in this project, and that's what, that's what we plan on doing, stringing it down to 11 blocks. They said they wanted more affordable housing in the project as well. Now the project, we found two new sites. Now the project is over the 15% threshold that Councilman Robertson uh, uh, proposed back in 2018. They said they wanted to protect the general fund and schools. I... I actually uh, made a statement uh, a couple weeks ago that said that, you know what, we will hold schools harmless uh, through the construction of the project at 57% 50, of real estate taxes or more. Uh, people say, well, uh, the, the jobs aren't necessarily tangible. You say 20,000 jobs, that doesn't mean that's not a lot. Well, we attracted a tenant in CoStar, uh, you know, the, the real estate analytics company to expand in the city of Richmond with 2,000 jobs. 
and folks say, well, the arena, um, the arena uh, needs a tenant as well. How can an arena actually operate without a tenant? We listened, and now a hockey team is interested in moving into a new arena. So during this course of period of time, since August particularly, I remember that's when I introduced this, mm -hmm. we have listened to the community input and made the project better. Now, what I see with that resolution is that they want to ignore all the changes. They don't want to sit down and do the hard work of maybe even having a debate about whether or not this is the best way to move forward. All I ask for them is to be, be on record. Can I ask you this? Yeah. Well, because that's a good point because you you'd mentioned the do your job part of this. If indeed, do you feel like, and I believe I know the answer to this, but do you feel like at this point you've done all you can possibly do? And is there a, is there a world in which city council says, you want us to do our job, we're going to do our job, we're voting no? Is that acceptable for the city of Richmond in, in your eyes? I, if, if, here's the thing. I need the city council to articulate for me what are their concerns, right? Well, they have to articulate for the public, too, what are their concerns, too. I don't think they have not, I don't think they've done that. Is it fair to criticize the process? One of the biggest, and I'll just tell you because you've heard this and I've heard this, and I say, and I say some of this, some of the biggest criticisms I hear is that the process was a idea, not by you, but by the CEO. And I take fully offense to that. You know what? I mean, talk to me about. I it. take talk full offense to that. It's, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, here's the thing. Uh, I may not be. I'm not a PhD or anything of the sort. But guess what? I I, I won this office with big bold ideas. I thought, and I'm capable of having a big bold idea as well. So when you hear, you know, Dominion CEO's Coliseum plan, it offends. It it's does offensive. offend me. It does offend me as if, you know, as a young brother can't have his own ideas. Mm -hmm. you, you, was, it the, was it the Dominion CEO's idea to put more affordable housing in this project, to for a transit center being a part of this project? No. Mm -hmm. Now, here's the thing. There are folks who have ideas today about what the Arthur Ashe Boulevard should look like, right? Doesn't mean when I actually create the vision for it and release an RP, that doesn't, that, there's nothing wrong with that. The brother had, had an idea. Good. I'm glad Mr. Farrell had an idea. I created a vision that, you know what, you're not going to just build an arena and leave us with an arena. you got to do a whole lot more than that. That's what we did. So how much of this project do you feel is tied into how the general public, how Richmond, how you yourself view your term as mayor? Uh, I, I don't think this, this administration will be judged on just Navy, one well, if Navy yeah. Hill passes or not. No, uh, it's a yeah, whole no, no. I mean, I think as I relate out of my state of the city, yep. we've making, we're making progress on many, many fronts. Navy Hill is just part of our economic empowerment push, mm -hmm. right? You know, if we want to, we got what, uh, roughly a little bit over 3,500 people who are without work today. We need to hire more returning citizens. Well, let show me a way to do it. Navy Hill's that way. And just simply saying no is not a plan. In your mind, as you look at to where we are right now, would there be any things that you would do differently? Uh, you know, I, I think we've been thorough. We've been diligent. We've been conscientious. I mean, uh, looking back at it, sometimes I wish maybe we could have gotten started earlier, I guess. Mm -hmm. uh, but you know what? We're, we're here now. I wish, I wish the negotiation didn't take so long. But you know what? When you get into that room and to negotiate, you're trying to get something good for the, get the best for the city. And I was willing to like run the clock out for all the things I thought were going to be beneficial for our community. Absolute last question. Mayor Stoney, thank you so much for your time. I got to ask because our listeners are always asking. I think you've already said this. 
you fully intend to run for a second term? I fully intend to run for a second term. Uh, you'll, they, people will see my name on the ballot for mayor. <laughs> beyond any ideas beyond mayor? No ideas beyond mayor. Just okay. I mean, let's let's get this election done first, and then we could talk about 2021, 2022, 2023, 2024. All right. Well, we're gonna be watching as always. I thank you for your time. We've got a ton, a ton of more stuff to get into. But what I'm going to do, and this is what I'm going to do for all of the listeners, and this is the first time we've ever done this. After you hear this interview, shoot me any questions that you have for Mayor Stoney. What we are going to do is we are really going to collect some cool things and try to keep a running dialogue through 2020 with the mayor's office. They've always been an open book That's to awesome. us. We've always appreciated the time uh, that they've given us, and we appreciate our working relationship as we move forward in 2020. Thanks, brother. Appreciate as it. As always, that's Mayor LeVar Stoney, and this is the Cheats Movement on WRIR. We'll be right back after this. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, it is February 4th. This is the Cheats Movement on WRIR. Gigi Broadway is here. I'm here, man. Feeling good. The voice you just heard, and we always have to thank Meryl of our Stoney, the entire Stoney administration for the time. We really value those conversations because they're so vital to what we're hearing uh, in the communities, and we like to bring those issues to Mayor Stoney and see how he responds. I thought it was a wonderful, wonderful conversation. A lot to get to, and the promise that we made at the end of that interview does stand. Please email the show, Facebook the show, social media us, and we're going to compile questions that we can share kind of a running question and answer with the mayor so i know you have a lot of questions i see them on my social media pages uh please send those to the cheats movement via social media via the email the movement at gmail.com and we will get those questions to mayor stoney Gigi broadway yes let me ask you this because for all case in points today and this is february 4th it looks as if the mayor's big big 27-month Navy Hill new Coliseum project. It all but seems like it's going to die right now. Mm-hmm. Let me ask, do you feel if this project does go the way it looks like it's going, so it looks like a lot of work, but it's not going to move forward, do you feel that's a referendum on the entire Stony administration, or do you feel like that's just one part of kind of his first term? I honestly think it's just one part of his first term. You know, I mean, I feel like a lot of people are trying to like just tie him to just one project. And like it's a it's a big project, though. I mean, it is the biggest it would have been the biggest investment in the history of the city of Richmond, one point five billion dollars. Yeah. Um, you know, so it was it was a whole it's a big deal. But, yeah. but continue on. I didn't want to cut you off. I mean, definitely ambitious. Um, but I don't think that that should be, like, his, the only thing that he has associated with his term. You know what I mean? I okay. mean, I think that was it ambitious, was it huge? Absolutely. Um, if it fails, do, do I think that's a knock on him? No. You know, I think it was so big that, like, the opposition, it, I mean, it was just a lot, a lot to fight through. What do you think the challenge is 
in regards to Richmond doing big things. I think I know a little bit. I think it. I think a lot of it has to boil down to trust, and it has to do with things like the history of what happened with the Redskins deal and what happened with the convention center and in these things where it's like we've been told over and over again if we do this thing if we make the deal with the Redskins it's going to benefit everyone and it turns out that it, it really didn't do that great it wasn't that great of a deal for our city yeah. um you know we still are we've got the brand new convention center it's actually a beautiful convention center it doesn't fill up you know what i mean the way that we really thought it would right so you you know you see this big big project and i think there's a lot of there's been a lot of hey trust us we're really getting a really good deal for the city we've been working really hard and i think what happens is especially on the city council level because those are the ones that are voting it down yeah there's not a lot of trust between city council and their and their ability to don't trust themselves but i definitely don't think they trust the administration and the mayor, mayor's office to do big things effectively what do you think I don't know. It's hard, you know, and I think I don't know if it's like that we are faced with such a stigma that it's like, you know, it's kind of like, I don't know if it's like a side eye, like with anything that's big, any type of deals. I think people are automatically going to be super skeptical. And I think that it's such a hard thing to fight through so much negativity and like roadblocks and it's a lot you know like with the examples that you named it's kind of like I don't want to say it's a we're fighting an uphill battle but it's like we have so many examples of things not working that it's kind of I think we've lost sight of something that really could work but I don't know you know what I mean, I mean and, I, and I think there are things that there are things that have been put in place that are working um, in our city. It's But it's interesting to go back to the original question I posed to him and I posed to you. Is this single project kind of a referendum on his entire term as mayor? I tend to agree with the mayor that it's not. And I tend to agree with you that it's not. Because it's very hard to say your legacy is, you know, your first term legacy is something that didn't happen. Yeah. Right? So, I mean, I do think when you listen to the state of the city that he delivered, um, he talked about some of the basic functions where you and I would think every city hall should be managing those things well. We've had a track record in Richmond of not handling those things well. Right. If he's starting to get some of the daily workings of city hall back in place, if he's starting to get new schools online, he's starting to help, like, start, like, basically, he's saying, we're starting from ground zero. And everything we're doing in the city now is starting to build up what could be potential to a bigger project or a new thing. Exactly. And so, you know, I, I do think it's interesting because four years just goes by, just flies so by. So quick. It just flies by. And I do think what, you know, he's already announced that he's going to run again, but he will have challengers. And I'll be interested to see as we go closer and closer to an election and I'm sure he'll be on and we'll have his opponent on too. We're an open look. This is a show that is for the community. We'll have as many people on as possible, but I'll be interested to see how quick Richmond wants to hit the reset button. I kind of felt like after Wilder, they wanted to hit the reset button after his term as mayor. I've definitely got the feel after mayor Jones, they want to hit the reset button. That's when I got that feeling. So the interesting thing is I'll be interested to, I'll be 
interested to see, you know, this year, 2020, do this? Does the community, does the city of Richmond feel like they want to hit the reset button again, or do they feel like, all right, let's, you know, there's some things that are starting. Let's see what he can do with another four years. Yeah, I mean, because he ha- it's so much work to do. Is you know, after four years, hitting the reset button might be a little bit too premature. You know, I don't know. We'll have to see, ladies and gentlemen. Again, we do thank Mayor Stoney for his time. We will have him on again. Please send us your questions, and we will continue to have our dialogue with the mayor. We will be right back on the Cheats Movement on WRIR. We'll be right back after this. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Cheats Movement on WRIR. Now, today we have a limited broadcast, so but you know, it wouldn't be me if I didn't bring up a topic that has been, I'm not going to say eating me up, but it, it definitely piqued my interest because um, I don't know if you guys remember, but one of my New Year's resolution predictions was actually a lot more exposing of people in the industry. And uh, let's talk about my guy, Mace. For those who don't know um, or haven't heard. Pastor Mace or Murder Mace? I think this one was Murder Mace. Okay, we're back to Murder Mace. We're back to Murder Mace on this one. Um, As you guys probably already know, the Grammys has passed. And um, Puff Daddy, a.k.a. P. Diddy, Brother Love, whatever you would like to call him, um, you know, had a very interesting speech, um, you know, and when he was talking about the Grammys and he basically kind of put the Grammys on blast a little bit, did a little exposing of the Grammys and their practices that we've all been accustomed to in the past. A right? conversation that we've had on the Cheats Movement. Do we value the Grammys? Do black artists value the Grammys? Definitely um, going back to that. So I don't know if you guys are familiar, but basically to kind of sum it up, you know, P. Diddy was talking about how, you know, the Grammys basically did not treat black artists with the respect that they deserved um, and that they needed to do better and that we um, as black artists needed to take back control. We need transparency and we need diversity. All right. Which is very true. I will agree with him ab- about that. Cheese, you agree? I agree. Okay. Now, um, unfortunately... Our good brother Mace, Mason Beth, Mason Betha, Pastor Mace, Murder Mace. How this you is like murder. We've established that this is Murder Mace. This one is definitely uh, Murder Mace. I think that was coming out a little bit, but he actually um, took to social media to kind of do a little exposing of his own, and he took the time out to call out Puff Daddy on his practices specifically and how he's treated his artist in the past. And boy, was I here for every single word i don't know what well, talk to me cheese what, what you got so I, I am a long long time bad boy apologist <laughs> i'm gonna tell you that now oh my god during the during the bad boy uh death row era of my life i was clear riding with bad boy and puffy and big and craig mack and Mace, Black and Rob, Loon, oh. Black Rob, Ooh. everybody on the roster, total, total. I was, I was, I was there for everything Bad Boy Records, and seeing 
by following it that long, the Mary J. Blige early on, I'm talking about Usher Raymond, uh, seeing it from that long, I, I will tell you this, whether I like it or not, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised that anyone mm-hmm. would would question kind of Puff Daddy and Bad Boy Records <laughs> stewardship <laughs> of you know what record labels did to artists back then and even to to the artists now it was very public when the locks wanted their publishing back very public we remember that on hot 97 they were they had a phone conversation with puffy talking about giving me my my, my <laughs> publishing back and, and and so i do think all of this is interesting the way that it ties together cuz puffy is talking about the grammys and value in black music Mace is talking about Puffy himself, P. Diddy, and talking about valuing black artists. And I do think that they're not mutually exclusive. I do think there's a bit of two different arguments there. Mm-hmm. Um, but ever since there's been a record industry, there's been labels taking advantage of artists. And yeah. I don't. And it's not. It's not the right thing to do. You know what I mean? It's never the right thing to do. But since the beginning of time. <laughs> There have been rich labels and broke artists. That's true. And so I think what we're trying to do in 2020 is figure out ways for there to be a more equitable system. Right. Right. And we're still trying to figure that out. They're trying to figure that out with streaming and title. And, you know, YouTube gets you artists gets pennies of a dollar from YouTube or pennies from a dollar from Apple Music. So they're they're just trying to figure out more equitable, equitable ways to not take advantage of the artist that's actually creating the art. Does do I believe that Puff and Bad Boy and all of those labels need to do better by their artist if they can? Probably. Should he give Mace's should he give Mace's publishing back? If he can. You know what I mean? Oh, he definitely can. I definitely think that they should. Um but it's interesting because Puffy calling out the Grammys is a lot like the discussion we had on the Cheats movement uh, a couple episodes ago, which is if Puff and Hove and Dr. Dre and all of those guys valued different things, mm-hmm. if they valued different award shows, if they created their own award show and put value into that, then the prestige of the Grammys in our community goes down. Yeah. The only reason the Grammys are of value in our community where they've never valued, you know, black music or hip hop artists is because the artists themselves put value into it. They're upset when they get Grammy snubs. When they win awards, when Hove wins big awards or Kanye won a big award, they're going around showing off their Grammy. They're not showing off their NAACP image awards. They're not showing off these other awards. And so without belaboring the point, I think if Puffy's really mad at the Grammys, like if he's really mad at the Grammys, mm-hmm. there's only he can do one of two things. He can they can flood the system and try to uh, you know join the board and have enough people that believe like him to join the board and basically take it over from the inside, hmm. or they can create their own and put value into that and have everybody come you know to the to the BET Awards or the Source Awards or whatever it is. Right, but uh, just sitting there yelling at the system that it wasn't created for them, doesn't value them, and then say, I- I'm upset because y'all don't take us and you know what I mean? Stop going. Exactly. Not only that, but you know what I really have a problem with? 
is the fact that it's kind of his, you know, you know, his speech was, I applaud him for the speech because he didn't have to say anything. Right. But at the, he didn't, he didn't, he you're, didn't. Right, you're right. But at the same time, to me, I can, I see it as more maybe of a detriment than anything because the audacity of someone like P Diddy to kind of stand up and start going off and, you know, saying these things about the Grammys and the board, you know, and the board like, well, who is he? Because we, we all kind of are taught that you show people how you want to be treated. Right. So by him treating his artist, not the most favorable or the best. Sure. And that's across the board. Sure. How can he turn around and tell another ethnicity or group of people to treat us better when he hasn't treated black artists the way that he, you know what I'm saying? It's right. just, so he's, he's, he's yelling at the Grammys to value black music, but artists that is, is telling him to like Mason, those are telling him to value black artists. So, yeah, I mean, I do think that there's a level of hypocrisy in that. How do you go about either, like I said, either changing the system? Because these systems were built and put in place, and they weren't put in place with the idea of equality and diversity and all the things that Puffy is cheering for, That's right? That's a fact. Or trying to champion. Mm-hmm. It didn't, at the same time, with putting the discussion there, putting the discussion on the systems and the Grammys and those big war shows, are we taking are we miss are we missing the point right or am i missing the point by saying well he's focused on the grammys doing better meanwhile the music industry itself a lot of those labels from motown to bad boy have jerked black creatives from the beginning of time right like how so i mean yeah yeah, I, I just think we can't ask for change if we are not setting the example or the right example of how we should be treated, you know? And I just think it starts within. So if Puffy's... If, do, I, I applaud the message. I know you agree with the message. Do you think Puffy's the right person to give the message? Absolutely not. Who would be? Who would be a good example of someone that we can say... You know who? Master P. With that, ladies and gentlemen, we've got to take a break. This is the Cheats Movement on WRIR. We will be right back after this. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, it is Tuesday, February 4th. It is the first week of Black History Month. This is the Cheats Movement on WRIR. Gigi Broadway is here. Yes. And as always, we have to thank our sponsors, Work and Friends, one of the best co-working spots in all of Richmond, Virginia. Please check out Work and Friends. Uh, visit them. Shout out my girl Larkin. Everybody that's involved with that wonderful establishment. We really, really do want you to. We thank our sponsors. We need more of them. We do. <laughs> uh, but we also want you to visit them because they have been so great to us in the Richmond community. So that's Work and Friends. Make sure you check them out. Gigi Broadway, I do have an announcement for what? any of our uh, listeners that want to see us live with a very special event. You may not know this. I know this. You may not know this, Gigi Broadway. February 13th. February 13th is the one-year anniversary 
of the city declaring Mad Skills Day. Shout out to Skills. Yes, that's big. That's huge. And we are doing something very special for the one-year anniversary of Mad Skills Day. 6 p.m., free, open to all, come out to the Broadberry. We are going to have a live conversation, basically a live podcast in front of anybody that comes out uh, with Skills himself. He will be there. He's going to sit down with us for a long-form interview, almost like a This Is Your Life, Mad Skills. <laughs> oh, that's uh, going to be fun. It's going to be a lot of fun. It is free and open to all. It is February 13th at the Broadberry. Uh, doors open at 6 p.m. We'll have probably some special guests there. Um, I know Skills is going to be there. It's just going to be a very great opportunity for you to come and be in community with, I got I got to say it, it's got to be Richmond's greatest hip-hop artist. Richmond right. Bourne's greatest hip-hop It's fantastic. And we're so excited to be a part of it. Um, I knew also during the day we're working with uh, RPS, Richmond Public Schools, and Skills is going to probably be talking to some students. I mean, it's a whole thing. But this is kind of the kickoff to hopefully what will be an annual celebration of recognition of Matt Skills Day. Absolutely. I cannot wait. I'm so excited about that. Gigi, I know you have a event you're working on that's coming up. Yes, yes, ladies and gentlemen. February 19th at the Hoff. In the loft at the Hoff from 6.30 p.m. In the loft at the Hoff. In the loft at the Hoff from 6.30 p.m. to 9.30 p.m. Having the first installment of a, now get this, professional entrepreneurial networking event slash after work dinner party fusion. (laughs) Who made this title? Now, it's called The Grind Theory. Okay. Explain a little bit for our audience really quickly what the grind theory is. All right. So basically, the grind theory is an experience to where entrepreneurs, small business owners, creatives, artists, anybody who's on the grind, that nine to five grind, that get up, hit the ground running grind every day, all day. It's a chance to come everyone and get together collaborate eat drink share ideas network um it's a chance to win some prizes vendors will be there so you can shop you can collaborate you can expand your brand all under one roof with some drinks some food music by dj hip-hop henry Henry family family owned that's right we'll be in the building so you guys and i'm telling you this you want to be in the building if you have any type of creative projects if you have a small business if you have a anything you're working on please be in the building it's going to be some awesome people there um a lot of connections will be made guaranteed excellent that is what's the date one more time february 19th so february 19th uh, Gigi Broadway will be in the building, so we're very excited about that. As we closed, uh, as we closed the episode today, obviously the world was shaken up by the sudden passing of 18-time All-Star, five-time NBA champion, I think multiple league MVP Kobe Bryant. You know, no one saw it coming. I think the first text I got was from you, Gigi. It was a text on Sunday. Uh, that that faithful Sunday saying, "Hey, look, are you are you seeing what's happening here?" Yeah. Um, and I think all of us were collectively in kind of disbelief, shock. Here's the thing that I was gonna say as we close out. Uh, the thing that stands out to me about this particular passing is just the amount of influence someone can have on the globe, where you know and I know. Nobody knew Kobe like that. 
like his family knew him. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Maybe his friends. You know what I'm saying? But the world over would have these antidotes and these stories and what I learned from Kobe or what I took away. Exactly. And they didn't meet him like that. So the the amount of influence you can have with people that you don't even know, you haven't even interacted with, haven't even, you know, there are people with full body Kobe tattoos yeah. that never met Kobe. You know what I'm saying? So I, I, I just think of that as we close out this episode. I think of that just in the sense of you never know who you're influencing. That's true. Um, no matter who you are, no matter what you may think is a little thing or a big thing, you never know what people are going to take away from the way you present yourself. And that's true. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to have to end it there. This is the Cheats Movement on WRIR. As always, please contact the show. Uh, hit us up anytime, and we'll try our best to uh, stay in contact with you. Until next time, Richmond, we, we see, see it. it.